So welcome to release. This is 1928, and we have two outstanding films, The Passion of Joan of Arc and The Wind. Yeah, let's torment women. Oh my god. These are some tortured <laughs> ass women, that's for sure. Tortured ass women. Oh my god. But can I tell you about 1928 before we get into it? Yeah, of okay. course. So we're definitely like bridging to talking films still, but they're sort of like dominating the zeitgeist at this point. And Hollywood's major film studios sign an agreement with AT&T and Western Electric's licensing division uh, to use their t- audio technologies to produce films with sound. So yeah, they're proceeding with the conversion of production facilities and theaters to sound film. Like everything's gearing towards talking pictures almost exclusively. And this leads to an explosion in the popularity of sound in cinema. And I think that it's important to like notice what kind of films become popular around this time. Talking pictures this year that become the popular films are westerns, gangster films, and then horror interestingly which makes sense because so much about horror is sound which is why i'm so scared of horror movies because i'm too sensitive to sound but so like some of the examples are the a film called in old arizona in 1928 is a best picture nominated western film so it's released this year and it's the full the first full-length talkie film to be shot outdoors and not in a studio So we are seeing the technology become portable in a way that, you know, it wasn't, which was a huge limitation of that, that idea we talked about before of like dudes standing below a mic in a studio and it not being that exciting, but now they're out in the field. So it's like Western movies are going to become a huge thing because you got to hear all those yeehaws and shit synchronized. Um, We do have sort of a western the wind is sort of a western but yeah still silent but silent and then there's a gangster melodrama called the lights of new york that's released by warner brothers it's the first 100 percent all talking feature film and this follows the success of the jazz singer in 1927 which really only had a few minutes of sound of synchronized sound okay and this film is unexpectedly successful so it grosses over two million dollars which i'm sure gave them all kinds of ideas about how we needed to hear guns crackling in movies and all of that and screams yes and then warner brothers also does another all talking picture which was the terror i don't know anything about this movie except for these details that i found so it's director roy del ruth's adaptation of edgar wallace's play and it's about a haunted house that is terrorized by homicidal asylum escapee. Asylum. Jesus Christ, I can't speak tonight. So yeah, it's all the creaking doors and howling winds and organ music. It's Vitaphone technology. So it's thrilling and gripping and terrorizing. Wow. Yep. So the, I mean, those are the categories now. Those are the categories. And musicals. I mean, I feel like... You know, musicals are going to be a big deal. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, you can either go real over the top jovial sure. or creepy scared shitless. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Haunted House really lends itself well to 
sound effects. For sure. Oh my god, they must have had so much fun making that. I mean, I'm just still glad that we're silent. I know, and really, these films make, and they're noted this way, they make the argument for the superiority of silent film, because I think even though these movies were popular, and some even, like, Oscar-nominated, there was still this, like, lowbrow, highbrow thing happening. You see animated movies, like, I guess this is the year that Mickey Mouse is properly introduced. Yeah, this is Steamboat Willie year. Yeah. Also, the year that my grandmother was born. Oh, wow. She always cites the fact that she and Mickey Mouse were born in the same year. Oh, interesting. She's still alive, but as far as I'm concerned, Mickey Mouse is dead. Uh, I don't know. He seems to be having a resurgence in popularity. Does he? I don't know. I see Mickey stuff everywhere. And well, people love Disneyland. Everywhere forever. Yeah. But, you know, when was the last time Mickey Mouse made a good film? Oh, my God. He should retire. I never. Oh, what was that? <laughs> that was somebody driving by real fast oh on my a motorcycle. God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't live that close to the street, so. That's wild. No, you don't live close to the street. They're fucking yeah. going to die tonight. Good luck. Hope you have a helmet. Oh, my God. Yeah. So these three movies, Talking Pictures, are happening, plus Mickey Mouse is entering the talking picture game and entering the picture in general. And then also this year, Paramount is the first studio to announce that they won't even produce silent films anymore. They're talkie exclusive. So that's pretty indicative of how people were feeling at the time. They're like, fuck silent film. Yeah, like, that's just how technology seems to work, huh? Yeah, it's kind of surprising to me. I feel like usually there's still like this hold on the old way of doing things being the best, but they had invested so much money, I guess, in this new technology that it was really like, okay, we have to go for it. And I'm assuming that audiences were, once they saw Talking Pictures, they didn't really want to go back. I don't know. God, I wish we could talk to someone. I know. And ask them. Yeah, like how did you, if you were going to the movies every week and yeah, like when did you, yeah, I think it would be now that I'm like toggling between silent film and talking pictures, I see merits in both. I'm not like oh, put of off. Yeah. But of course. And so if you like had been used to watching silent film, especially the two movies this week, it's like, they're kind of like the best of the best. So but neither yeah. was a commercial success. That is something. No. So I mean, I feel like Joan of Arc was probably a bigger success in Europe. I think The Wind got a little bit extra juice in Europe, too. I guess Europeans were yeah. more down. Well, also, the director of The Wind, Victor uh, Strossum, mm. or Seastrom, C- as his name was changed once mm. he sort of got solidified in hollywood they turned they took out all those like that silent j and umlaus and turned it to seastrom makes sense americanized his name if you will seems like america was really into the idea of grabbing foreigners to make films like murnau and victor uh seastrom 
But then they kind of abandoned them if they were ever the least bit unsuccessful because I know that he like straight up like got disenchanted with filmmaking, right? And like headed back to Europe after the wind. I think I don't know. I didn't that I didn't, I watched I didn't plug some, into uh, that bit of research. I watched some Turner Classic movie intro of the wind. They used to do something called Silent Sundays. So I watched the yeah. intro for both of these movies on Silent Sundays and I think that's what they were saying is that Okay he you know yeah was given this like creative freedom and then when it didn't work out he was like fuck this shit yeah bye i think very important to note that he is also the director of he who gets slapped yep and i think that as much as i think we both love he who gets slapped it is very apparent the the sort of jump in technical prowess. Oh, hell yeah. In this film and the conceptualizing of this film only like four years later. Yeah. Uh, it was his sixth film and I'm not sure how many in between he who gets slapped, but regardless, he certainly, you certainly see a progression. Yeah. Okay. So why don't we just yeah get let's into get into the, the wind. wind? But I'm gonna I have a couple more 1928 facts that are okay fun. more tidbits uh, like three more tidbits two more oh three more so this is the first year we he- uh, g- hear g- Leo the lion roar for the first time oh it's a part silent okay. and part talkie film called White Shadows in the South Seas and then this year also the Patriot and Ernst Lubitsch silent film is released and it's the only lost film that ever received a Best Picture nomination, which I don't know how that happened, but there's only minor excerpts or portions of the film that exist. And we know that Ernst Lubitsch goes on to have like a very storied, interesting career, but this movie is just gone, essentially, hmm. which is shocking. And mm-hmm. then also this year, we get the first surrealist film, according to some. So director Germain Dulac released the classic, The Seashell and the Clergyman, and it's noted as the first surrealist film. And But some argue that Louis Bunel, uh, Bunel? Uh-huh. I love his work, yeah. but I am so bad at pronouncing. I looked it up right before this. I can't believe I didn't like write a phonetic pronunciation. But his and Salvador Dali's movie came a year later, but some people still say that this is a surrealist film, this other one. And I did watch yeah. some of it and it looked pretty fucking surrealistic, but how do they make these distinctions? Because we've seen some surreal shit also, but I guess it's like a more completely surreal film than had been seen before now. Yeah. So those are my facts. We're getting facts. weird and we're getting like real normal with talking pictures, but then there's also weird obviously this like pushback churning of surrealism. Weird and normal, normal and weird. Normal and weird. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's get into the wind. Hell yeah. November 23rd, 1928 is its release date, which is, you know, we're about a year into talking pictures, which means that we're a little too late for people to be so interested. <laughs> but that does not mean that it is not interesting. So, this, the story is really simple. Letty 
who is an orphan. I always think it's really weird when they call full-grown adults orphans. True. Played by Lillian Gish. Played by Lillian Gish. Incredible. She's she's going to live with her cousin in West Texas. Her cousin's wife, not a fan, not right away, Cora. just sort of Cora, Cra- not having Crabby it. Cora. Crabby because she thinks that she's trying to fuck her husband i know it's odd because it's like obviously they're close but he's like this is like my sister and then she's like no you want to fuck but also it's her cousin not sister i know but he says she's like his sister because they were like raised together okay sure yeah and also it's like uh, their display of affection is nothing compared to some of those mother and son I'm saying affection that we've seen in some of these movies we've watched. I thought of that because I was like, oh, what was affection like acceptable ex- affection supposed to look like? Because we've seen some like making out between yeah. sons and their moms. But this is like a bridge too far. Them just like hugging a yeah. warm embrace is too much. Right. So Lillian Gish actually had chosen this novel. I saw that. So which, cool. Written by written by Dorothy Scarborough, who also I believe wrote the screenplay, but it was credited to someone else, another woman. Oh, I was gonna um, say a man. No, another woman. Thank God. <laughs> but also, I hope they had a fight over it. Something really dramatic. Sure. Uh, she was also an English professor who dealt with a lot of Gothic themes mm. in her writing, and she also wrote the script. For the Scarlet Letter, mm. Francis Marion—that's that's who credit was given to. Oh, okay. Maybe they collaborated. I don't know. So, the wind itself is set. It overlooks a lot of the novel's critique of frontier attitudes oh. about like labor and race, obviously to make it more palatable for the audience. Mm. Although it's a pretty tough little adventure that we have going on here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So Lillian Gish had, had, had chosen this novel. She also wrote a four-page treatment, which uh, served as a starting point for the screenplay. Um, and she also insisted on having Lars Hansen play opposite of her, who played Liege, who was the neighbor guy that she ends up marrying. Yeah. Um, he is. He's got a great face. Oh, Yeah. And I get why she... And I was surprised at how much sway she had, but she was a powerhouse of this era. This is her last silent film. But she was, like, a huge fucking deal. Yeah. And then she also requested... No, not requested. She insisted that Showstrom direct the film. Damn. She was keyed in to some cool shit. Like, that's all good choices. The story is crazy, she, and then he... yeah, she she also she also said it was one of the worst experiences in filmmaking that she ever had. Okay, so I in the Turner Classic Movie intro, they said that they shot in the Mojave Desert, which some of it I was like, this could be on a set somewhere, right? Like all the interior stuff. No, he uh, Victor Showstrom demanded that the interior the exteriors be shot on location. So the temperatures were 120 degrees. Uh, for average and the film was warping in the heat so they had to start packing it in ice to not have destroyed like days of work wow yes yeah 
But it works out because it's very powerful imagery. It works out. Nine wind machines. I was going to ask. I have wind machines out in desert on location, question mark. Because I was like, what? Uh Yeah. Because the wind is like a character. The wind is a character. The wind is insane. And the wind is really, really fucking cool, man. This movie is so cool. This movie is incredible. There's so many incredible images. And like the way they use costuming to like make the wind really become alive. Like they had her in these hats that were just like flopping in front of her face. Like, (laughs) and it was like, okay, you picked like the perfect costumes for this too. Those hats were definitely nailed onto their heads. Oh my God. But, <laughs> um, yes, the wind is, the wind exists from frame one to the end. The first title card I grabbed because, I mean, I grab a lot of shit, but it sets it up perfectly. It says, man, oh, yeah. puny but irresistible, encroaching forever on nature's vastness, Gradually, very gradually, resting away her strange secrets, subduing her fierce elements, conquers the earth. But it's like, who's conquering who here? Oh, yeah. Because I feel... I, I thought I thought that, that that title card was inaccurate because we did not conquer anything. Definitely. No. You can't beat the wind. It's like a nature... Yeah. This is like twister before twister it's like i love twister impossible and it has shades of uh wizard of oz in it too i was like did judy watch this to like nail down her performance of like being flailed about by the wind man so yeah (laughs) i love i love man yeah this just the scenes with cora and uh, what is Letty mm-hmm. between Cora and Letty and Cora is like a badass. She's like chopping in up the house, chopping up like animals, butchering a cow. Yeah. I mean, a cow carcass hanging from the ceiling and she's like reaching into it and pulling it apart. Yeah. They really are um, juxtaposing like ideals of femininity and masculinity with Cora and Letty it's like yeah. they'll show Letty like stealing the little kid's nose and like cuddling and, you know, the right. dude coming over and like being so excited to like be in the warmth of Letty. And then Cora's over there like butchering an animal and like yeah. getting shit done that needs to be gotten done. Right. And shooting glances over Letty's way mm-hmm. being like, this cow could be you. Oh, sure. Oh, she would love for her to just vanish at the very least. We find out all about that. She, like, does not care what happens to Letty. Cyclone or no. Letty, we meet her on the train. She's traveling to West Texas, and she meets a man, Roddy, who is a... It's like some sort of businessman, right? Yeah, I can't figure out his his deal, deal? but he seems a little bit more highfalutin than, like, the neighborhood dudes we meet later. He visits Texas. He doesn't live there. He goes there on business. Right. And she's coming from Virginia. So maybe he's also yeah. coming from that way. Right. So he talks about the wind and how it makes people go crazy, especially women. Right. Which I was because like, the wind, the wind is, is the most annoying element of nature. 
for me. So I was like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it all starts. She's trying to, she's trying to shut a window on the train because all this dust starts blowing in. Ugh, dust. And this man, you know, she's like, I hope this, this wind lets up. And he's like, eh, well, you know, good luck. You're in the land of the wind. Yeah. The ghost, what are they? Uh, the wind is a ghost horse that lives in the clouds. And then they like show yeah. that. Yeah. That's fucking cool. Yeah. There were some chilling moments. Ugh. This movie's freaky. Ominous. Freaky. Ominous with building tension. Yes. So she settled in. We meet Cora. Cora's not having it. <laughs> Cora butchers cows and gets jealous of Letty being nice to her kids and being more maternal to her kids and is definitely paranoid that this cousin has come to steal her sickly husband. Right. What's with all the coughing? Yeah, you well, you need to move away, sir. Yeah, this is not the place for you. You shouldn't be having people come here. You should be leaving. Yeah, you should be going someplace where dust does not go into your lungs. 100%. So when then we have another party scene where we have a party scene. I say another because I feel like... They party. We've got We've got party scenes in lots of movies that are sort of used to sort of describe who the people are that were around yeah because we did meet what's his name let who's the guy that she handpicked Lillian Gish did Lege Liege Liege we meet him and yeah. his friend Sourdough but then we oh, get yeah, to Sourdough. know them better at the party so Liege is kind of handsome but like stupid I think he's supposed to be yeah, a little stupid yeah they're both stupid. kind of these like they're, they're both, both dopey kind of like like local yokels yeah and they give her a ride from the train and they are both sort of like vying for her hand yeah and out of the gate like they know her they're just like ooh, yeah. babe but also that's babe just on like the frontier whole, you know that's another like uh, that's just another one of those tropes or maybe actual facts of a hundred years ago i'm sure females were pretty rare out there so you know you got to get in i mean i just think in general like you just get married because it's available to you and you're a woman and you're a young woman and it's time you better do it well we definitely get into that later i had some thoughts and feelings about her choices or lack thereof right well brutal so she thinks they're joking and she tells this to cora and cora is like you better just get your shit together. She basically tells her, like, get, you don't have any options out here. And you can't come back to my house anymore. And you can't come back to my house anymore. You're going to have to build yourself a house out of dirt if you don't marry one of these dudes. Which is psycho. And ugh, what did she think? Was that, like, why they brought her out there? I don't get, like, how the cousin isn't being more aware of this. Right. Because certainly so wait, that wasn't his expectation. Does the cyclone happen before this or after this? Oh, no. I think that after, like the party, so the party's happening and right. then the cyclone's supposed to come and they all like batten down the hatch in the right. basement or whatever the fuck that is. And then something like flies in anyway. <laughs> but then it's like over and they're like, let's get back to the party. Storm cellar. Storm cellar. What did I call it? <laughs> whatever the fuck that is. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so they're in the storm cellar, but then they go back up and they start dancing. Right. A chunk of the building sort of crumbles. They basically 
the cyclone takes a hard right or something. Sure. You know, doesn't no no direct hit. Which it keeps feeling like that. That's like the ominous part of it. You're like, okay, where the hell is this massive storm? The norther, they call it. And it's like they can yeah. tell that that's about to happen if like the wild horses start to come down. But I feel like yeah, that's almost happened. Yeah, and it's fucking terrifying. Which is which is like oh man, how how long did it take us to kill wild horses that we would not be able to say that thousands of them run down a mountain anymore. It's all these things that I think about like when I'm watching these movies about the actual like the the factual things of life, you know, like thousands of wild horses run down from the mountains when a huge storm is coming. Yeah. 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 Thousands. And also I don't know if I can get into it. I'm not qualified, but there's a lot of sort of implications I don't really know if they, I don't know. Well, they do say the word engine. A bunch. So I would say that it was probably a negative connotation that these winds and these big storms were sort of brought on by the Native Americans. I couldn't tell if there were negative connotations or if it was just so, but definitely like their language was not. Right. It's not up to our standards at this point. Right. But it seems I mean, like they do are... trust. I mean, we don't meet any Native Americans, but they did sort of trust their instincts about what was going on, or at least like partially buy into like some of their right. myths about them. Well, also, I'm so glad that there was not a depiction of a Native American in this movie because it just would have been negative. Sure. And it probably wouldn't have been a real Native American. Oh, definitely not. And that is like always kind of a bummer yep. in a movie that is like really good, but then has this very terrible depiction. That's why Western another. films are so hard for me because it's like... Yeah, I can't even deal with that shit. Yeah. You know? It's like too much. <laughs> Burt Lancaster as like an Apache. Right. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. God. White people were terrible. So embarrassing. Yeah. You're embarrassing. Don't embarrass me. Well, I don't care. (laughs) You're not embarrassing me. You're embarrassing yourself. Yeah. I don't want to look at you. It's all that Hayes Code shit too. It's like, oh, we're just going to, you know, lean way into whiteness. Say that again. Like that they're just going to have whiteness wherever possible even when they're depicting oh yeah non-white yeah. people right gross right do not let people think outside their comfort zone right yeah Eek. but what a hero to play such a role <laughs> anyway we could have a whole episode about being offended and it is you have to we haven't gotten into it too much but there are eras in film where you have to like yes call out the fucked up patriarchal and racist shit but also right it's like you're still watching these depictions right. so like point it out but then you know right. you have well to- it's like my how it was so blatant in um <laughs> in my watching of the 1960s version of the lost world yeah sometimes it completely does ruin a movie the, it does. Because the bias is so gross. 
that it's hard to see past any of it. And then sometimes I do think you can like watch it and critique it and then take the good stuff. Right. But it's sometimes it's, hard. it's just really trying. Sometimes you can tell they're just trying to drive it home. Yeah. Yeah. Not the case here. There is an absence of race in this movie, mm-hmm. like many, 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 many movies from the beginning of film. Yeah. But it also does not leave these white people as innocents, you know? No. They're not They're not innocent, and they are kind of, <laughs> they, they, are, they are reckoned with. They all have some fucked up wind. shit going on. Even Letty at, you know, we'll get to her, but she's not an innocent in the end. No. But I did write that with her hair down, she's a stone cold fox. <laughs> she sure is. She's such a babe. And her eye acting, again, eye acting uh-huh. in the silent mm-hmm. era is fucking mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. So she's married to this dude. She picks Liege. Well, she tries to pick the Roddy. Is that his name? Roddy? That's right. Roddy. She tries to pick him and he's like, oh, no, I'm married already. Oh, that's right. That son of a bitch. I forgot about that. But what is... Did he... So he still wanted to take her away as like what? Like as a a mistress forever? As a side piece, dude. A side piece. Okay. Because I was like, what was his intention? But... In a way, though, she that would make her like an illegitimate woman or something. I'm like, if that dude's just going to like pay for you, of all your options, you have such limited options. It's like either like dopey ass sourdough. Yeah. Liege. Obviously a no. Yeah. No way. Sourdough. Get out of here. Liege, uh-huh. who's like, he's not going to take you away from this place because he can't leave it, it seems. Right. He's kind of stuck in place. And he's like kind of hot but like uh sort of creepy in his way of advancing he feels like very entitled to her he's very of his element yeah so it's like that guy or be roddy's side piece very grew up in west texas you know and whatever that means you know yeah grimy he's a little grimy for the entitlement of men yeah but I do love that scene in which she just blatantly says, like, no. Oh, yeah. She I'm will not, not fuck him. I'm not. No way, man. And he's like, okay, I can respect that. Well, first he, like, tries to attack her. <laughs> and then he's like, fine, I'll well, just never touch to you again. Her. Right. He's, yeah. Like, kind of damning her. Where, like, right. she seems sort of open to, like, maybe a slow progression of things. Right. Like, we barely know each other. She doesn't say anything like right. that, but that's what it feels like. No. And he's like, right. no, if you don't want this right now, then I'm never going to touch you. I'm going to save up all of my money so that I can send you away from here. Right. I almost, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that he's a stand-up guy, but I almost felt, I did, I did feel like he was not wanting her to be tortured. No, I think that his ego was so large that he was fighting against himself, his better intentions. Yeah. Like he couldn't do the right thing completely, but he was doing the best that he could with like the masculinity and that he, you know, was expected for him. And I do think it's like this is a classic thing of how like patriarchy hurts men too. It felt like that to me, like through the lens of 2021, it's like 
they're both fucked. Like, fuck him for trying yeah. to take what he wants as this, like, entitled little pig. But he's in this position right. because women can't marry purely for love. They have to marry for survival. And she's in this right. position because women can't survive on their own. It's not like she could, like, go and get a job and make it on her own. That's not an option. So it's like, no. this is how a loveless marriage could be so easily born. Because it's like, yeah, you're both doing this for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Because he like just want he says has some line that's echoed later about I just wanted someone to like love and work beside and all of this like stuff right. that sounds lovely. But it's also like, how does this woman doesn't even know you? The only person she knows here is her cousin who is right. shackled himself to capable Cora, who is just like banished her, <laughs> le- banished Letty from her home. Right. It's an impossible situation. Right. But this scene is amazing. She like... That he pours scene. them both alcohol of some like wine or something and she like oh, yeah. pours it out and then they have this tussle oh, this like back it's and coffee. forth what was it it was coffee oh it was coffee yeah he made some real shitty coffee oh and he like finds it later i thought he was trying to get her drunk no i think he's just giving her a cup of coffee in the morning okay <laughs> i read yeah. that totally different but yeah that's maybe through my lens uh that is my favorite scene in the movie. I thought it was really, really very well played. Well, they have very those intense. shots of their shoes that reminded me of Alita, where it's like yeah. this, like them coming closer and further apart, but it's all told like through like their little shoe movements, like the close-ups yeah. of their shoes. I was like, that's fucking good. Yeah. Tappa, tappa, tappa. Yes. And lots of good like shots through the window of the wind. Like, the wind is just always there. Always still. there. And that would be unnerving. It's unnerving in this movie, wind... and it would be unnerving in real life. Yeah, and that is the thing, is that like every once in a while, Letty sort of pauses, and she eyeball acts mm. at the wind. And you know that the wind is still grating on her. Oh, Yeah. She definitely seems the most affected. A part. Well, yeah, she's an out of towner, man. Yeah. She wasn't born for this. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the wind is like in Virginia. I've lived there. It wasn't that bad. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> Next word's opinion. <laughs> yeah. I have been to West Texas. Is the wind this I, bad? I mean, it's not. It's not like Dust Bowl era blowing up, sure. kicking up dirt in that way but yeah it is very windy there and like dust storms in arizona are pretty fucking unnerving haboobs if you will haboobs yep so yeah the slow unraveling of letty through all of these sort of things it's like the wind is her bad luck charm yeah because it's kind of soundtracking and like appearing present in Mm -hmm. the worst time of her life anyway and she was she seemed excited to go, not like yeah. bummed. She seemed hopeful right. and happy on the train. And then it's, she's quickly plunged into this nightmare that's also yeah. like accompanied by intense wind that is like this and mythological ghost horse right. wreaking havoc. And she's immediately she's immediately given the suggestion that like she's going to go crazy. True. Because you're a woman by a man. Yes. And it's like the power married. of suggestion, but also Stupid that everything body. around them. It's like 
is it some kind of drought? Because then, like, people are starving pretty quickly in this area. And the men are all going out. That's, like, right. after she, you know, shacks up with, how do you say his name? Lege? Liege? Liege. Liege? I, say, I, was, I was reading it as Liege. That sounds right. L-I-G-E. Liege. Yeah. So, like, then he has to, like, go off. And she, like, tries to go with him. And she, like, cannot hack it at all. Oh, yeah. She's, like, she's trying falling to off and shit. Behind him. Yeah, she, like, falls off the horse a couple times. She's lucky she didn't break a rib. Yeah, it's brutal. She so did. she literally she can't survive on her own in yeah. this place. And then she's left with fucking creep-ass Roddy, who gets all injured? Is that... Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know. She's at the house. She's by herself. And this is where it's, like, it just goes, like, peak bonkers. Yep. Where the wind is like breaking windows and dirt is just flying in. That little ass Lillian Gish must have really been blown by those nine fans because she's tiny. Oh my God. Those fans were really working overtime. There's a lot of wind. It's not like the suggestion of wind. It's like everything is wind blown, wind tossed. If anybody wants to, they could restart this episode and do a drinking game about how many times we've said when <laughs> and they would be plastered by the time they got back to this moment it's called the wind i know and the wind is everywhere the wind is, it's like cora letty liege and, and the wind and roddy right. co-starring roddy that's right special appearance by sourdough oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh my god sourdough. why is that his name god. I can't even remember his face, but I'll never forget that name. Oh, he just had a real, I don't know. I can't describe it. Mustache. Mustache. Mostly bald on top. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, then she's alone with Roddy. And there's this Uh crazy, really cool camera movement where the camera approaches Letty from behind. And almost for a second, I thought that like that was like to be a person, kind of like in Sunrise, how like, we are the camera, like, sort of... Yeah, POV. Yeah. But then it pans to the gun on the table. And so now you have that, uh, like, what is it, Chekhov's gun moment where yeah, it's like, totally. well, we've seen the gun on the table. Some shit right. is going to go down. We know it's going to happen. Yep. So it does. And when she fucking blasts that dude, <laughs> oh, my God, it was crazy for me. Yeah. Like, it I, it just happens out of nowhere. Yeah, she had enough. Uh, well, I know. And it's like, those kinds of scenes now happen in this way that is so prescribed, where there's, like, the pacing of it is, like, you know, like, don't shoot. I know you won't shoot. Oh, sure. What are you going to do? Shoot me? And there's like <laughs> music playing, and it's like, you know, oh, it yeah. just plays out forever. But she just is like, bam. Yeah. She's just bam right point blank right in the fucking chest well he's been like psychologically fucking with her and now he's like physically fucking with her and like threatening her like well if liege finds us here he's gonna kill us both and she says oh i i wish he would like she wants to die like someone's gonna die it might be her but it's someone i'm just talking i'm talking directorial choices yeah just the fact that like it just happened so just bluntly well, I feel like, I loved it. yeah, it's great because he like shows us the thing and then we know it's going to happen and he doesn't make us yeah. like 
right. be tormented. It's not this drawn out, dramatic ass thing. There's like no close up of her hand on the gun. No. There's no close up of you know what I mean. It just is like boom. Yeah. And I don't know if he deserved to get shot. I don't know either. In some of the text, it didn't seem like a good idea text, when she starts digging that in, hole. I'm like, you're digging a hole in the sand in a windstorm. Like, you've not right. thought this through, homegirl. Like, this is not going to be well, good. I mean, nobody. That's another thing is that like, she it it there, she didn't think about it. She just let it happen. Well, yeah, I, did, I was trying I did to think read if some text that also suggested that he did rape her. Oh, right. They might have just... Yes, because it's like the next that it morning suggest- almost. That it suggested that she was raped by him. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, what is she going to do? What is her life like now? He kind of is trying to... He's trying to force her mm-hmm. into the position where he she has to run away with him. That's like the whole premise mm-hmm. is that right. she's going to be so I shamed. Up, I didn't pick up on anything like that mm. as far as like a, like a rape has occurred. Not that I'm saying that like the implication isn't there. I'm just saying that I personally didn't pick up on it i did actually rewatch it rewatch those scenes like uh right before we started talking yeah and i could see that if you were aware of the implication well i think he was gonna imply even if it hadn't happened like he was gonna imply to liege that they had some kind of romantic goings on and it wouldn't matter it's like her he does already liege is like having weird masculine reckoning within himself like about being you know denied sex from her so it's like if he did come back and they were like embracing even if she had nothing to do with it right he was gonna create a story they were gonna create a story together it's like no way no i think she did have to shoot him maybe yeah i mean she says he says we gotta hurry because leash is gonna be back and he's gonna kill us both yeah she says, I hope he does. Yeah. So it's like, that's a threat. Yeah. She's like miserable there. She's so miserable. She doesn't even care if she dies. She's so miserable she says, with like lack of um, care, I think. It's like not even just the yeah. wind. It's just that like no one cares about her. Right. Or what happens with her. And she says, I'm not going away with you. Yeah. Another blunt moment where she just says, I'm not going away with you. Well, how can you at this point? That guy's like, she was down to like accept him, but you're fucking married and you're trying to force me into this position. I've already been forced into a position. At this point, she can't even go off with him because she's like a married woman. Right. I just liked that. I like the word away in that sentence. Yeah. She didn't just say, I'm not going with you. She said, I'm not going away with you. Yeah. Which was like a very, it is like, very groundedly i am staying here yeah she does seem to have started to make some decisions because yeah whether whether i am whether i am breathing or not i am i am staying here yep now i've like succumbed to this place (laughs) because when liege comes back okay so liege comes back and she's like yo there's a body out there (laughs) and he's (laughs) like no it's not (laughs) this is the ultimate though is that she buries him. Yes. In the sand. And in the sand. And then she is looking out the window and the wind, our good old friend, the wind. Yeah. Blowing. His. It's un- the wind is uncovering the body. Yeah. You start to see his little face popping back out. Yeah. That creeps little like, face. 
dead body being uncovered by the wind that she just buried. And so then she is just like, oh my God, that's terrifying. Yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. That's torment. That's kind of the ultimate torment right there. Yeah. Is that like her, the thing that she is trying to hide, her secret, will never be safe in this environment. Exactly. But then she and tells Leash. I think she was going to tell and him anyway, right? Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I think, well, I think she was probably like, well, I'm damned if I do. I'm damned if I don't. This is goddamn wind. Yeah. And he looks out and the wind has reburied the body. Yeah. And he says, well, that's what it does. If nobody ever finds it, did it even happen? Right. Which I was like, that's kind of some like surrealism for me because I was like, did she kill him? Kind of moment. For a second, I thought maybe she didn't kill him. Oh, she killed him. I know. But it's like, I was like, wait, what kind of psychosis are we dealing with with Homegirl? Because right. maybe this right. didn't even happen. Yeah. Because she's going mad in the wind. Bonkers. But okay, so there was an alternate ending where she just, you know, shoots him and then runs off into the wind to like die. But then the producers were like, you can't end like that. And so they yeah. made them write this like happy... Ending where Liege and her, which I did believe mostly because she's such a good actress, but it, she's like, right. no, can't you see that? Because he's like, I'm he's still talking about sending her away anyway, not because he's yeah. mad about the dead body, just because that's the plan. And she's like, but can't you see I'm in love with you? And we ha- I had been feeling her being in love with him in these very subtle ways, which is just like, yeah, her. I, I did, I did very much like the very slow progression that they made. Yeah, yeah, her trying like to run after did, him. Where you're like, oh, she is warming up to him. Yeah. And he's warm up to a bull, you know? Like, he's right. not the worst. But also, is she warming up to him or is she be, or is she becoming reliant on him? Right, and like succumbing to him. And he does seem fairly right. capable in this environment where it's like, well, mm-hmm. better him than Roddy or Sourdough. Or even like her cousin who's just like hacking up a lung and relying yeah. on his scary-ass wife. Right. Nobody who's coughing. I mean, I know we already covered this, but it's like <laughs> your bread has dirt on it, sir. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't live here. Yeah. So this is like the strongest, most capable man. Like we see him like leading other men. It's like, yes, I'm sure that that was very appealing. But I do like the idea of them just like disappearing and or her just disappearing. Yeah. And that's it. And that being it. That's kind of rad. Yeah. Because then she just becomes like a ghost of the wind. Yeah. You have no idea. Yeah. Then maybe she is the wind. Maybe she is. The end. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mention, I don't know how you watch this movie, but the only version I could find had a live score by an improvisational big band. I didn't like it. Is that how you watched it, though? That's the one I watched, and I thought that the music was... Overwhelming. It was... It didn't vary any, it wasn't varied at all. It was like, it was very like foreboding the entire time. Yeah, it could have laid off a little bit, but it fucked me up yeah, for sure. Was, well, I listened to, I watched it for a little bit with some of that. Then I turned it off and then the I finished it listening to um, David Bowie, Aladdin Sane. No, cool. Yeah, it was great. Oh, I wish I would have known that that's what you were doing. Maybe I would have done the same thing. But I kind of like the I mean, live score, but only because I've been interested in the idea of, like, you know, scoring movies like this. I'm into it, too, but 
not that. It was high like key the whole time. Yeah, it was like it was like the monster was around the corner like every moment of the film. Yeah, true. Yeah, so nice try, but I hated it. <laughs> well, it would have been fun live, but it's like I just I was trying to even imagine what the music would have been yeah. from the time. Though we know that like right. there isn't like like when we get into the Passion of Joan of Arc. They found right. the original sheet music from maybe the premiere of the movie. Because it would be different things. Yeah. But they found the sheet music. Right. So then they've like, I think yeah. the version I watch is based on that sheet music, which is interesting. I watched, uh, my, the version that I watched was Criterion. Me too. Which I rented from Casa Video. Oh, hell yeah. Do we have anything more about the wind or should we hop to The Passion of Joan of Arc? I think that I would like to just say that I loved the wind. I loved the wind. Loved the wind. My my favorite movies are changing. Ooh. Like every single time we do a new couple of movies, I am just like, I don't know what my favorite movie is anymore. I have to say, yes. we have been choosing some extraordinary movies through our research. Yeah. Because I feel the same way. I'm like, holy shit, like... I think about sunrise all the time, and I've been thinking yeah. about the wind all week. Yeah. Damn. So, uh, the wind. I am here for it, but I don't want to live in it. Oh, no. I hate the wind, and I love the wind. <laughs> yes. And I fucking love Lillian <laughs> Gish. And all of her prairie outfits, oh, yeah. I was like, I'd wear all of these. Her, like, right. physicality, I mean, especially her eyes, but, like, her body flailing, all of that. I'm like, right. this is the best. I'd watch her all yeah. day. And she didn't do that I'm going to be pretty and cute when I'm crazy thing. No. She looked crazy. Yeah, she was wild-eyed and, you know, unhinged. Yeah. Very cool. No, I don't think she's scared very of anything. Cool. I think Lillian Gish was, like, very embodied in this. Like, she's not yeah. acting. She wanted to do some cool shit. She wasn't, like, pretty, oh, pretty yeah. princessing. No, she loved the story. Yeah. She wanted to do this. And I love it. I love that she was like, this woman wrote this novel, and I love this novel, and I want to do it. And I'm one of the few women in the world that have say in anything, so I'm going to make sure right. that this shit gets done the way I want it to get done with the perfect right. director for it because he is is really good at making the unexpected choice. And honestly, the pacing of that movie... There was no, like, mid-film sag at all. It was, like, riveting uh -uh. all the way through. Yeah. No excess so, fat on this thing. It was much more of an action film mm -hmm. than yeah. The Passion of Joan of Arc. Which order did you watch them in? I watched The Wind first, and then I watched The Passion of Joan of Arc. Oh. I did the opposite. Oh. Passion of Joan of Arc is so crazy. Oh my god. It's it's torture I, I, also. After I watched after I watched both of these <laughs> movies, I didn't even I wanted to text you something but I didn't even know what I could text you. Yeah. Just like these movies as a double feature. They're a perfect uh, double feature. They're about <laughs> being tormented psychologically. So crazy. And then like but somewhat the physically. Of of Arc, the passion of Joan of Arc is just like meditative torment yeah it's different choices and it is like the most modern film 
Oh my god. Of any of these movies that we've watched. I how like visually vivid it is. I was like, this movie and, looks uh-huh. ten times better than any movie that we've watched. Yes. Like the lighting, and everything. It, it, it's like just a constant portrait. Yeah. It's just, it's really, 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 really incredible. It's bonkers how, like, you could put this in a movie theater if no one knew. Right. If we're in, like, an alternate reality where this movie doesn't exist, but somehow the film gets dropped down, you could be, like, you could show it in a theater and just be like, yep. And no one would know the difference. (laughs) It's a modern movie. It's such a modern movie. Well, the first time, okay, so I'll give some background. But, Uh uh, so it was directed by Carl... Theodore Dreyer. Cinematography was Rudolph Matting, who goes on to be a filmmaker, which is part of why I'm mentioning, but also that like the cinematography is kind of the thing in this movie. Uh-huh. And then it stars Rene Jean Falconetti, who was a stage performer, and this is her last movie. And it's her only starring role, which is psycho, because she's incredible. But I was going to... I just always... I, 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 sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, go like, for it. Fine. You know what I mean? Like, if this is your one starring role, good fucking job. Yeah. I guess she didn't like, <laughs> like film. She preferred fantastic. stage acting, but people still say this is the best performance ever captured for the screen. Like, hands down. Not like best silent film performance. Like, right. best performance and it's hard to argue because so much of it hinges on her and it fucking works yeah and she's got a great face and the expressiveness is like crazy and i was gonna say what i was like bridging into this oh i'll give the release date the release date in denmark was april 21st 1928 and then in france october 25th 1928 but the first time i saw this was in Godard's movie v- Vive Sa Vie uh, with mm-hmm. Anna Karina watching this movie at the movies. And God damn it, that's so amazing. So amazing. And it's like, and he's juxtaposing their two faces. <laughs> he's trying to make a connection. And it's, it, they yeah. do have like these beautiful expressive faces that like hold so much nuance of feeling. That just side note makes me think of margot robbie watching sharon tate oh okay i haven't on a time in hollywood i don't even know about that as as sharon tate yeah she's playing sharon tate and she's watching actual sharon tate so i haven't seen that movie yet but i know i'm i will eventually okay okay sorry no please continue um but also i found that anna karina so she is uh also Danish, like our director, and her mom worked with Dreyer, the director of this film. Hmm. So it's like a weird okay. intertwinedness that I like a lot. I love that movie so much. But it was, that's the first time I saw this film. And I'd only seen it in clips before this week. Yeah. It's definitely something that I know is Film History 101 material. Yeah but not anything that I've ever seen. And I was so happy to finally see it. Oh my God. I can't believe I haven't. It it seemed like one of those, I knew that from that movie that it was like really iconic, but sometimes when films are too much 
talked about in this way of like the ones. Yeah. It makes me less likely mm-hmm. to see them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. But like Citizen Kane or something. Right. Which I saw in a class. But otherwise probably would have been like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But right. I mean, I don't know how. And also that I just had this weird feeling about silent films, which now I have none of that left because it's like these are some of the right. best these are like this is one of the best performances i've ever seen i can't be, i don't know yeah. how you do that it felt like cap it felt like documentary her face was so like it was just yeah it's like it is it is one of the most simple journeys i've ever been on yeah and we like know the story but still you're like in it with this character yeah. with joan of arc yeah Falconetti's Joan of Arc. Right. And I can't even imagine what it was like at the time because so like this was made after there was like a renewed interest in Joan of Arc because she was made a saint by the Catholic Church in 1920. Uh So that's why like this Danish director, Dreyer, was asked by the Society Generale de Film. Oh, my French accent. Uh Isn't it so good? Uh Because he had made a po- another successful film in 1926, and so they asked him. Well, they him, drew by they they did a draw they they um they he presented three themes and one was Joan of Arc and Ren, one was Catherine the Great oh, yeah. and one was Marie Antoinette. I think they yeah they told him that those are the ones that they could that he could do yeah yeah and yes and so then, and then it was like <clears throat> a matchstick draw. Yeah. Okay. That's what I read. Okay. And then he spent over a year researching Joan of Arc and specifically the transcripts of her trial before he wrote the script. And right. the film that this, we saw is the first, yeah. like, that didn't happen until 1981 because they did that thing, the producers or societies, General they film. I think they tried to sanitize mm-hmm. it, especially because of some of the, like, church and France versus yeah. England stuff. Right. So, but then in 1981, they found like the, the Oslo films, I think is what they call it, um, which was the original cut. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is not a friendly movie. No, because it's brutal and true. It's what really <laughs> happened. Uh, but, well, yeah. the fact that it is like based on the actual court documents. Yeah, you can't argue with that shit. I mean, unless it's they like, fucked with it. Right. Yeah. I would say that, I mean, tens across the board for the performances. Oh, my God. And lots all of crazy of, faces in this movie. They lots casting of, because everything, almost everything is shot in close up. So much of this movie yeah. is in close up, whether it's someone's face yeah. or it's a shackle or it's like, yeah, it's hyper close up on like a piece of torture equipment. Everything is like, oh God. so these faces, it's like, and there was no makeup on the set. That they insisted right. on that, or Dreyer did. Right. So it's just like, which is crazy for silent film, but that's part of what makes it look modern too, I think, is that it was just like yeah, bare. Totally. It doesn't have that. Like, I mean, you know, Lillian Gish in The Wind as Letty very, still has that very ghosty kind of makeup thing happening. Oh, yeah. They thought you had to and do that. And that's made in the same year. It's weird. Well, released in the same year. Yeah. So aesthetically, these movies are so, so different. Oh, my God. But they're so, like you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, they really, really, really are, like, champions 
of the late silent film era. Yeah. With one of them sort of ushering out the silent film era in kind of a more traditional silent filmmaking sort of way with the wind. Yeah. Even though it is like technically far superior to earlier silent film, obviously, it still has like those kind of bones Mm -hmm. in it. And it's also American made and American produced with, and then we have The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is like taking us into the future. Yeah. And will inspire, you know, like Godard. Yeah. And I would imagine that if they made it as not a silent film, it still would have been had very sparse dialogue and would have been roughly the same movie, you know? Like, yeah, it, I can imagine the words in her mouth in certain parts. And it's not like she's saying much. So I, yeah, it works as a silent movie, but it also is, you know, it looks like a movie from the 1960s. That's just like of yeah. that new wave sparse style yeah david thompson that critic of dreyer he says makes a tranquil picture of overwhelming feelings which i was like holy shit now i need to see like that is true it's so true and it's like i think this was just his style and he does it super well and he kind of created this whole new visual language of this hyper close-up thing where it's like i'm going to show you all the important parts of of this and it's kind of like how we navigate our world you know you're sort of zooming in and out on you know like that mole on that guy's face or like that tear on that person's cheek like we're doing that all the time it felt like that to me but it's super cool and everyone says it's like one of the greatest movies of all time yep and falconetti is definitely a big part of it and it's crazy that this is you know, the end of her time, but Dreyer had found her in like a heavily made up part, but he like saw something in her and asked her to do a screen test and he like knew it then that, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with her just doing the one. It's pretty fucking cool. I saw an interview with her daughter Yeah, and it's like, she wrote a whole biography about her and it's, you know, you only need the one yeah. film. I'm sure she was great on stage. We can't see that stuff, but it's like you captured it once. It's good enough for me. But yeah, they said I'm happy to have it. Oh, for sure. They said that there was always talk that the reason her performance was so good was because Dreyer was like extremely cruel to her on set, like making pushing uh-huh. her to the brink of emotional collapse, like making her like kneel on concrete floors for or stone floors for. Uh hours and all of this but Uh i feel like maybe some of that is lore because there's biographies that say that there's like no evidence that he was a sadist and that they had like a pretty good working relationship but also like who's to say that they didn't have a partnership in that right she's a theater act she's she was a theater actor so who knows what her methods were you know like maybe maybe that maybe she was method right you know yeah and maybe it's like there's that big argument about like stanley kubrick abusing shelly duvall mm. during the shining like purposefully prodding her and like antagonizing her in order to get a performance out of her but there is the documentary made by vivian kubrick his daughter which mm. is made on set yeah and you know shelly duvall talks about it 
Yeah. She's like, yeah, we don't really get along all the time, but it's helping my performance. Yeah. Well, they, we do know that they, I'm not trying to defend anybody who wants to abuse anybody for a performance, but if it is a collaboration and it is agreed upon, whether it's spoken or not, you're allowed to, it's your process. Right. Yeah, I think that... It's your process and it's their process and those processes are coming together to create a certain thing. Yeah, and here it works and she never said that she was abused. Who knows where those words came into place? But in the biography, they do say that they would watch... Dreyer and Falconetti would watch the rushes of a single scene together seven or eight times. Dreyer would take out a little bit and maybe a few feet of film where the effect was what like oh, they right. wanted and then they would reshoot. Right. So like they were doing this together, you know, they were part of, they were in the process right. together. Right. And so much of it is on her. I can't imagine that you wouldn't benefit from seeing all of that and then being able to replay certain parts. And there was um, like side by side version. So like we're seeing the version that he most appreciated, but of course there are tons of other reaction shots that were not used because so much of it is just her face. And I saw like right. uh, a video of like side by sides and like, I totally get it. I totally get the choices that he was making. It's like very yeah. like little changes, but it has a big effect. Oh, cool. I would like to see that. I think it's on Criterion. I think that's where I saw it. Okay. So yeah, it's like, this hyper close-up naturalistic film and then they had these crazy sets that one of the most expensive sets ever built for a european film up to that time and you barely Uh see them in total but dreyer made the argument that like no i know that like you're not seeing these like panning shots of like these exteriors or whatever but it put the actors and actresses into this setting and that's that's what added to it yeah that's the point yeah and it was um jean hugo and herman warm that Mm -hmm. designed them and they had all these i think they're like oh yeah they're in the danish film institute archives the original models which criterion had some videos of the original models which were cool and they were uh, the entire set was painted pink so that it would look gray against the white in the sky like a like clouds so like yeah the, all these details it's ah like i just like love all the filmmaking stuff like okay we're shooting yeah. in black and white and it's this is one of those films where we've talked about this before where like the nuance of black and white film it's like yes all of that is very important every shade in between right makes it look this vivid yeah Oh my God, I love it. So yeah, the only other thing I have about the making of it before we get into plot, which plot is hard <laughs> for this movie, but plot is hard, but because it's so, it's such a study. Yeah. But there are some plot points, I guess. But the only other thing I have to say is that as far as reception, so it was a critical uh, success out of the gate. And especially for Falconetti's performance, people like totally understood that it was wildly you know well achieved sophisticated yes yeah but it was a huge financial flop 
And Society General canceled its contract with Dreyer. Uh, come on, man. Yeah. And he said that they mutilated his film. And there was a lawsuit. God. And so then Dreyer couldn't even make a movie for another, like, three years or something because of this catastrophe that now is, like, in every, yeah. you know, cinema history book ever. The short-sightedness of producers. Yeah. I think you did Vampire after. Yes. Okay, so Vampire is the one that the, what are they called? The Brothers, the stop motion, Quay? the Brothers Quay. That's like their favorite yeah. movie. Okay. Um, or when they went in the Criterion Closet, they were like, we love this. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we'll get into plot and then we can just talk about the main points. But, or, you okay. know things that popped out imagery wise but we start out in this stark ultra contrasted like courtroom scene with joan so like the first chunk of the movie is this courtroom scene of her being questioned and being asked to like renounce her belief that she is was sent by god to Mm -hmm. you know push British out of France to save France. Right. And that St. Michael appeared to her and this is why she's been doing all of this. Right. And there are some sort of sympathetic people in that courtroom. Yeah. but Who tend to look younger. Oh yeah. True. Mm-hmm. But then there's one especially gnarly guy that's like so mad that he like spits on her. Which yeah. that scene and she does not flinch or like move she wipes it off after like what feels like a very long time and we are right up on her face and right up on his face and it's so fucking disturbing Ugh. yeah another big problem they have with her is that she's wearing men's clothes there's lots of talk of that throughout that was a huge thing yeah for me i was just like wow This, well, I just wonder who, what portion of the audience that saw this film was on her side and what portion was on their side. Oh. You know, like, and yeah, so much, all that gender stuff was so interesting and just obviously very relevant. Right. And we see her with this cropped hair, this very androgynous look that like now it seems like no big deal but then it would have been jarring like that's not a woman you know who is that and then also the blasphemy if she's not telling the truth about god sending her here for this purpose then she's the worst of the worst right right it's such a weird fucked up all this double standard shit like who does she think she is that she would get a message from God? Yeah. You know, and what if she were a man? Yeah, that's a good point. They really want to that's like, even in the courtroom, they talk of like, if we brought you women's clothing, like, would you put them on? Right. And she's right. like, no, not until like my mission is done. Right. But it's like, they're fixated on that, on her clothing. When it's like right. her crimes in in their world are, it's you know, the much same worse as today. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah, people trying to put other people in little boxes that make them comfortable. It's so fucking... It's so fucking pink and blue, Mm -hmm. you know? It's very gender reveal party. Yeah. (laughs) You know? It's like all of these things that, like, were grounded in, like, ground into us centuries ago. Yeah. That really just don't mean anything. Yeah. It's like, how is she different from these men? That's important. Clothing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe a quarter of the talk is about that. Just about her clothing. obsessed with it. Yeah. It's wild. But yeah, they have this letter that they want her to sign that they obviously wrote out like a confession. They call it a letter of abjuration. But it's a confession, I'm assuming. Right. I didn't look up that word. I don't know that word, though. But she won't do it. And they... So, like, after the courtroom scene, they have her back in this other room. And because she won't sign this, then the torture devices come into play. So there's this whole room full of... (laughs) It's so fucking sick. It's like... We're going to hurt you until you... Lie. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because even the only two options that I can see... She obviously, it's clear to us as, and honestly, like, it's so crazy how good her performance is because, like, I'm not exaggerating when I was like, this feels like a documentary. (laughs) Like, it felt like a very artistically shot documentary because the expressions on her face, these, like, that's how people cry when they're in distress. You know, like, it wasn't, it's not over the top at all. It's very naturalistic. And, like... I when I was there with her because you really do feel like you're there with her because you're seeing like the like pores on her face. I was like she's either Joan of Arc was either mentally unwell, thought that this was true, yes. right, or it was true. Right. Those are the two options. You don't get the feeling, and supposedly they're in the room with her too. You don't get the feeling that she's lying. Or like taking you on no. a ride. It's like, no, it's either, this right. is either true, true, or it is mm-hmm. true to her. Those are the only two mm-hmm. options. And that's, and that's one of the things that like, as a viewer, that was difficult for me because I don't, I don't think that people get messages from God. Or St. Michael. Or St. Michael. They get coupons from Michael's <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> See, I have a hard but, time. Sometimes I do believe. I believe in a lot of woo stuff and dimensional right. higher power stuff. But it still wasn't to say that she was not right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like what is she doing like, to y'all right now? Everything that was happening was to her was obviously very wrong. Yeah, because this is all about blasphemy. So, like, in their world... So, like, you have a hard time buying in to her point of view because you don't believe that she's getting messages from God. They, all these people in the room, believe you can get messages from God, but she did not. That's the difference. It's like, these are, like, member... That's a priest, like, the dude with the little thing, the cute costume. He's a priest, Uh so it's like he believes he can talk to God. He just doesn't believe... Maybe he believes she can, but he doesn't believe that this happened with her. Or right. it just doesn't serve their political 
agenda. Of course it doesn't. Right. Yeah. So I think that's why yeah. some of them are having a hard time because they're like, whoa, like, I believe that she got these messages and who am I to mess with this? Right. Like, am I going to go to hell? There's a lot of conflict happening without yeah. any conflict really happening because she doesn't even get tortured at all. because she goes in yeah. there and she passes out right. and then they put her to bed. Yeah. And then they bloodlet that. Oh, I had a hard time even insane. watching it. It's like they... That was crazy. It's like getting blood drawn times a million, and I don't even like that. Yeah. It creeped me out. That shot, I was like, ugh. And like, how did they fake that I shot? Know. I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they really did shove like a weird, <laughs> big ass, like, I don't know, like little troth. A little troth or like a big ass needle in her arm. Yeah. Ooh. Was not a fan of that. It was quite quite a spurt of blood yes a lot of blood all because she has a fever not to torture her that's just like what they thought was a good idea because they don't want her to die of natural causes in the meantime because that's no good for them either uh yeah they want to have someone to continue to torture until they until that person says uh yeah you're right right and it has to be a narrative Though it's like, I guess if she died of natural causes, they could just invent a narrative, but they right. seem to really want a public display. That never happens. No. <laughs> no, we don't do that. <laughs> but she does sign that confession for a minute, but then she renounces it. She does. And then she's like, wait a minute. Yeah, she can't lie on God. Yeah. She says, I only confessed out of fear of the flames. Right. And she is going to face the flames, as we all know, because it's a very famous story. And they do prepare her to be burned at the stake. They let her take a confession, though, which they hadn't been doing right. up until that point. And I really like all that imagery of the little wafer and all of that. The, b- yeah. the body of Christ. Right. That means something, something to her. It means something to everyone involved. That's what's so weird. It's like you're kind of on yeah. the same side, guys. Yeah, 100%. That's why it's so weird. It's so weird. It's like they, well, it's, you know, it's patriarchy and politics because right. they all believe that that little cracker looking thing is imbued with the body of Christ and means something. That's why they won't yeah. let her take it because they believe in it too. And she so badly wants right. it. Yeah. Crazy. Looks low fat too. <laughs> Looks boring. No, that's not a good last meal. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Get some Can I get ice a little cream. Salt on this. But they ask her what her great victory is, and she says, "My martyrdom." And they ask, "And your freedom?" And she says, "Death." Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And then they She's burn her like, at the stake. I'm smell better than this communion wafer tasted. Oh, my God. Well. Barbecue. And her burning at the stake is epic. There's some really interesting choices for shots. Like, there's, like, the revelry of, like, the acrobats and stuff, which is all, like, way more jovial than anything yeah. we've seen. Way more exciting. Uh-huh. Like, big crowds. Yeah. And then there's the baby, the breastfeeding baby that takes a, a pause to like look at her almost with a little bit of scorn, that baby. Yeah. And then Gigi go back baby. to his nipple. 
yeah. right afterwards. Uh-huh. So it's like... A little montage. Very good. Moment. Uh-huh. They gave us something at the end that was very different from the rest of the movie, which is so stark, like, human drama yeah, one-on-one. But still, but still all very close. Oh, my God. Yes. All very close. No, we can't look at someone from <laughs> full body. How dare you? How dare you? You've got to see, Show like, the nipple and the baby face all right there. Got to. <laughs> And it is pretty, her, like, as she dies, it's graphic enough. It's not, like, burning flesh yeah. like you'll see in, like, the 70s and, like, The Devils. I was, like, thinking of that movie watching this. But it is, like, anguished face. And yeah. the second movie that we've watched that has a woman getting burned at the stake, though the other one ended up being a robot underneath, so. Right. In Metropolis. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But it's uh, brutal. The whole thing is brutal. And you do feel a little bit relieved for Joan in that moment. Yeah, that was her freedom. It really was. And she accepted it. Yeah, for a minute she didn't. And then she was like, you cannot like live your life mm-hmm. doing this to God. Lying yeah. on God. Right. Ugh, so good. I'm going to be haunted by this movie for a while. I want to watch it again. I know. I feel the same way. I'm like, I could just like put this on the background on my projector and just like catch some yeah. moments here and there. Totally. It's like great for that. I, I mean, it's mm-hmm. like now it's like I have this as like a background movie and like Clueless. Oh. <laughs> How different. <laughs> Sharon Joan. Just put it on in the background. Powerful women. That's right. Dealing with bullshit patriarchy. That's right. She totally paused. <laughs> this is great. I am. I know you're saying it's fine that Falconetti only did this because she did this, and this is incredible. Right. But like, I would have liked to see that face doing different things. Yeah, I agree. Like, could there have been a different world where like Dreyer got to go on and make a bunch of cool shit immediately I, I, after I think, with her? I think she wasn't down. I think what it is, I think. Yeah, probably not. She probably didn't like the process. She didn't like, she that's what, didn't she, like the, like, that's the story. She didn't like film. You know what I mean? Stage is more immediate. She yeah. She, didn't, she probably didn't like the, like, hurry up and wait aspects of it. Yeah. I feel like that makes her even cooler because most people would take the money. Yeah. But she was like, no, I, she was already a star on the stage. So it's like, okay. I, I, I think about. A movie you probably haven't seen, Carnival of Souls. Mm. It's like a 60s B movie. No. It's a horror movie. Oh, no. I've not seen um, that. Directed by her Carvey. And I've always said about that movie, like, if you only, because he only directed one film and it was Carnival of Souls. And it's like, if you, if I only ever directed one movie, I would want it to be that good. Mm. I would want it to be, like, I would be so happy. Like, if I directed Carnival of Souls and that was the only thing I got, I'd be like, well, I made a really fucking good one. Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel about this. You know, I didn't real, I didn't know that she had only done this one role. But, well, for film, she probably did many on stage. Yeah. 
But I think mostly if there was comedy. Going to be one captured on stage. This was the one to get. You think she did what? I think she did mostly comedy. Like she was a comedian. Well, yeah. Which it's like she was just. That's like she did what she know. liked, but obviously she was just yeah. like very talented. Yeah, I mean that's 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 very much like when somebody like Steve Carell does a serious film. Oh yeah, they have it in them. <laughs> It's in there. It's in there. Yeah, or like Adam Sandler. Also, they're the same. It's like if you Malcolm Eddie, Steve Carell. Yeah, same like thing. Adam Sandler. No, if you know how to like embody a character, you know how to embody a character. So that should, you know, if yeah. you're not playing yourself, that it should be able to right. have you know transfer. I don't know. I don't know how to do it, so it's hard for me to know how it works. Besides what I've heard people say. Yeah. But. Yeah. I know that this movie I saw I also watched um a video of Vigo Mortensen presenting this movie because it's like his favorite. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that makes sense to me. He's like a great embodied face actor." Yeah. Like definitely dynamic in this way. That this week was Whew the most invested I got in the movies. These were heavy hitters. And I don't know if it was because of the movies or if it is because we're doing it regularly now. Oh, yeah. And I'm just learning how to become more invested. Yeah, I'm definitely getting into a flow with it, but I think these are... Oh, God. But it's going to keep being like this. These are my favorite. I know. And it's weird because I feel like we've accidentally picked things that are good double features. Every yeah. week, almost. It's like they have this yeah. through line. And maybe yeah. it's because of the year and dealing with different or similar themes. Yeah. But it definitely, these felt like they went together. They did go together. Not aesthetically. No. But thematically they did. Yeah. And I love how different they are aesthetically. But if you had to pick three of your top, what would be your top three of the ones that we've done so far? But uh, it's like there's different parts, you know? Let me think about this. I mean, I know for me, the big parade is definitely top three what else oh my god you're right it is hard it's too hard because like the big parade the like the battle scenes i would not trade having seen that for anything yeah. <laughs> like i love that yeah uh yeah but then there's like sunrise you know there's right. parts of sunrise that have continued to like affect me right yeah i don't know i think i go Big Parade, Sunrise, The Wind, and then I think that Joan of Arc really just has its own sort of sphere. I think it would be Joan of Arc number one. Yeah. Uh, Sunrise, number two. The Big Parade, number three. The Wind, number four. Yeah. And maybe even The Wind and Big Parade tied. Because I really like Lillian Gish. Yeah. 
and the wind and like some of the visuals there yeah yeah that horse man that horse is very cool that horse and the wind that that double that that superimposed horse yeah how the hell did that they do that felt like a very, that felt like a very modern shot. yeah i was very impressed with that i was like wait what is this part of yeah. the doctoring too or just this weird music yeah yeah <laughs> shit so heavy what else have you watched Ooh, so so criterion is removing this movie or not removing they just like lapse whatever that's called queen of diamonds and it's set in Las Vegas. It's 1991, directed by Nina Menkes. Menkes? Oh, God. I see what you're saying. It's it, They're taking it off the channel. Yeah. Oh, yes. They're taking it off the channel. That's what I mean. So I think it's like yeah. probably on Criterion DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. But it's not going to be on the cri- Criterion channel anymore. So I watched it. And I was like, what the fuck is this crazy movie where, like, it's all visual. It's, like, very languid. And it's got this, like, sallow coloring to it. It's, like, Las Vegas, so there's, like, bright lights. But, like, she has so much, like, white-ass face makeup on. It's, like, everything's, like, a little putrid and sallow. Like, how Vegas feels. But then there's, like, all these bright lights. Oh, my God. I loved it so much. It has, like, some really rad visuals including like a palm tree that just like burns to the ground but like they're just like walking near it and it just like slowly burns i uh, i mean first of all (laughs) i do love seeing a palm tree on fire i've never seen it in person but that's a good video to watch oh my god look that up on youtube this movie has some of the best it's called queen of diamonds Okay. I've never been to Vegas. Oh, my God. You got to go. I know. And I feel like like my first trip to Vegas is a photo project. Oh, yeah. And I think that it is not anywhere near what is popular. Well, there's like Like, the old strip. I feel like it's a dive bar tour. There's like a divey strip old town yeah and then i was just on a job with a girl prop styling job with a girl that had just been to caesar palace and i was like i love caesar palace like imagery all that like greek rome or roman or whatever it is like those cool letters and weird palm tree shit it's so good but yeah queen of diamonds it reminded me of that movie that bet gordon uh, movie variety that's set in mostly it's like in New York but she works at like a a seedy theater like a porno theater in Times Square in the 80s uh-huh. it reminded me of that like it's like mundane but like neon lit thing but then there are chaotic things that are happening but it's like the the main character is like barely reacting to them it's a fucking weird ass movie, and I want to see all her other movies because I'm like, who are you? You're a little weirdo. Yeah, yeah. And the main character has these long ass nails, and there's all these close ups of her like dealing cards. Like, it'll be like a ten minute long scene of her like just dealing cards, and you're just like mesmerized. Damn. Because we're like close up on like one hand, 
or like one action. Yeah. It's fucking cool. I don't know. I'd never heard of her. And I guess her sister is the one that stars yeah. in the movie. It's definitely sounds like it's up my alley. Oh my God. It's so up your alley. There's a wedding scene where like they're fully decked out and he's like an abusive dude and he's been like beating her in like the room, like two doors down from the main character. And then they have this wedding and they're all like all over each other in a disgusting manner. But like everyone at the wedding is dressed like for a completely different occasion in this very odd way that I'm like, that's my Uh, like hillbilly family is like this. Like one, like (laughs) there's like a baby in a bathing suit and then there's like a dude without his shirt on, like, but wearing like a weird, you know, hat or whatever. Uh Like everyone looks, it's like, where did you think you were going today? Cause you're not dressed for a wedding. But then like a couple people are. Just like trashy. Does the baby have a scornful look on its face? Uh, no, not like that baby okay. with the boob in its mouth. Different. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I've been watching that. I'm still on my Formula One reality show tip. Damn. Ever present. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it. I feel like, uh, yeah, I've just been listening to like the same three albums and like working too much that's it yeah what have you been watching um i've i watched joe's apartment for the first time oh wow (laughs) for the first time how did you get around to it now i don't know i got a copy of it at work interesting and uh my favorite part of that the biggest surprise for me was that uh, Sandy Denton, aka Peppa of Salt and Peppa, mm-hmm. has a small role in it. Oh, I don't remember that. She screams. She yells, "Coffee break!" Oh. <laughs> and she's a coworker of like the blonde lead girl, the the love interest. Okay. Um, it's a dumb movie. Yep. But I really enjoyed um, the puppetry. Oh, okay. Like all of the talking objects, yeah, that are supposedly they're that like sort of represent like they are full of roaches, mm-hmm. and that the roaches are moving them around. Um, and I watched Cooley High. Oh, I don't know it. Just from nineteen seventy four. Um, it's an American International Pictures film think they did a lot of black exploitation films but this was not a black exploitation film it was an all-black cast literally like one white person in it mm. one of the teachers um but it's sort of like a semester in the life of a group of teenagers in chicago okay seniors yeah was it good it's one of those oh yeah I enjoyed it. I'm, I, 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 this was the, this was me sitting down and watching it all the way through for the first time. I saw it a lot in lot in like bits and pieces, like on Saturday afternoons. Okay. Like when I was a kid, but it was nice to actually really watch it. It has a really incredible soundtrack. Oh, cool. It's like, it was made in the seventies, but it was set in this, in the sixties. And I think my favorite character is Dorothy. Okay. It's it, it focuses on the boys, but they've got, like, girlfriends and 
there are a lot of very cool female characters in it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. Still watching Sex in the City. Almost done with that. Oh. You're going to finish just in time for it. They've been filming. My friend saw them filming in the East Village. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, ooh. I've been watching it and remembering, like, seeing, like, SJP spotted filming scenes, you know, like in Us Weekly or whatever. Yeah. No, they've been filming all over the place. Yeah. I haven't caught them, but maybe someday. Yeah. So, yeah, I, sorry, going back to Cooley High, mm-hmm. it, it's a very, it's so Chicago, like, because I lived there for 10 years, mm-hmm. like, to watch that movie was uh, very comforting. Oh, it's like how I like to watch New York things. Yeah, it was very, like, familiar you know, yeah, that's always fun. When you live somewhere, I lived in I lived in Chicago for like mo- like twenty four to like thirty four. Yeah, that's a good chunk. Yeah, that's a very definitive part of a person's Hell life. Hell yeah. So, you know, I'll probably put Cooley High on in the background after I put on Clueless or Joan of yeah. Arc. It's a good variety. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. Variety is the spice of life. True. Sorry, just wanted to throw in a very typical scene. <laughs> oh, and and you're Paul and you're at you don't yeah. want to or you don't want to go in there. Right? Or do you? Or do you? Yeah. I remember when you first told me your handle, I was like, wait, what? Like, I don't, what? And I was like, oh, yeah. it literally is that. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's a good one. That's one of the funnest things about my Instagram name, you don't want to go in there, is telling it to people and then being like, huh? What's in there? Yeah. Dicks? <laughs> Scornful baby. <laughs> and you're Caroline <laughs> at womanhood. Yep. And we are at release underscore pod with all the supplemental stuff and also www.release.pictures, which is also a URL that confuses people. But, you know, it works. Yeah. I heard somebody with a dot dog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I think it's like a trending thing. Yeah. Where it's like instead of having a dot com thing, we're we're starting to have like dot burrito. Why not? So release dot pictures. Get it. Yep. And talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>